All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Business of Fitness Podcast. I'm Jason Klepa, and on today's episode, we have Carl Paoli. Now, a lot of you guys might know Carl from his gymnastics background. He's made a big impact on the CrossFit space, wrote a book, started a business, all kinds of things. But what we dive into today is much more. It's how he's pivoted and shifted as the industry has grown, and also about partnership agreements, which was probably my favorite part of the conversation. Now, before we dive into the episode, I just want to remind you, if you're going to Wadapalooza on Thursday, the NC Fit crew will be out there for an awesome coaching event. Please check that out at the NC Fit Collective. Also, if you're sitting there on Sundays programming for your gym, if you're exhausting a lot of time and effort on it, why don't you leave it to us? We have a team of experts that have been programming for our gyms all around the world. We've been doing it for a long time, and now we provide it for gym owners. We have new pricing available all the way from $99 a month and up depending on how many coaches you have on your program. For more information, for a free trial, to check out all of our different programs that we use on a daily basis, please email collective at nc.fit. Again, that's collective at nc.fit. Or visit our website, nc.fit, and check out the collective. Now, without further ado, let's dive into the episode. Hey guys, so uh, I'm here with Carl Pilly, and um, we're going to dive in a little bit of the business side of fitness. Carl and I have known each other a long time. I think a lot of people found him in the CrossFit space, specifically early on with um, gymnastics. I think that was kind of like your niche. But over time, uh, Carl's transformed, he's evolved, similar to the industry has. So what I want to dive into today is how Carl's seen the CrossFit space in particular shift, the, the fitness industry shift, and what he's done to pivot. Does that sound good? Yeah, it sounds great. So tell me, early on, you were uh, a gymnast in Spain, and you were on the national team? I was, I was training with the national team, but I was Swedish and American. So I, was, I wasn't legally <laughs> accepted. But everyone hears, oh, he was training with the national team. He's a national team member. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So then when you came, you're, you come to the United States, you, are, you get introduced to CrossFit. Is that, is that what happened? Or no, no. So I, I actually came to the U.S. because I studied environmental science. I was working at the Marine Mammal Center in Sausalito, which is, yeah, uh, yeah it's, a, it's a hospital uh, where they basically rehab stranded animals that they find on the beach, specifically sea lions. And I was doing research there for my final project uh, in school in Spain. And as I was doing that, I was also coaching gymnastics to make a little extra money. And right. then through gymnastics, I eventually uh, got into more action sports training. And then that led to fitness. I became a personal trainer, started working at Equinox as a personal trainer there, learned how to sell, which is what that health club was all about. Right. And then took all of the information and everything that I learned, money that I gathered, started my own little business, started as a sole proprietor, and then eventually uh, it started growing. And I, I thought to myself, I want to build a team around this. So then I, I created a little LLC, so made it a little bigger. And then at that time, I was dabbling with gymnastics and kettlebells and weightlifting. And someone approached me and said, hey, you're, you're doing CrossFit. And I was like, I don't know what that is. Right, right, right. So they showed me a video, and I think it was Greg Amundsen doing Fran. Oh, yeah. Old school. A yep. classic. Yep. A classic. And I was like, this is dumb. <laughs> that was my first impression. Yeah. But then I thought to myself, wait a second. They're, they're doing Olympic weightlifting, and I'm really curious about this. Where do I go? 
So I looked up Olympic weightlifting in San Francisco and San Francisco CrossFit popped up. So I went over there, talked to Kelly Starrett, became a member, and then eventually he hired me to be a coach there. And that's where I brought all of my business to San Francisco CrossFit and became basically a personal trainer there. And at the same time, I paid my way to become a part of the team by by coaching classes. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, got it. So, I mean, Juliet and I just sat down the other day. I mean, San Francisco CrossFit's a very um, legacy location for a lot of people in the CrossFit space. It was around a long time. It started off old school and now it's still doing well. So my, my question to you is you're, you're in San Francisco CrossFit, you're working with um, Kelly. How did you start identifying? So you're a coach, you're doing personal trainer. For those coaches and personal trainers out there, who find themselves wanting more or, or to pursue something different. I'm not saying it's better or worse. It's just, they've decided to pursue something different. How did you know that it was time to create this niche as a gymnastics? Cause in the beginning you, you carved out kind of like this gymnastics niche. You wrote a book on it and uh, you, for lack of a better term, you wrote a book on it. How did you, how did you know to pivot from what you were doing to then say, okay, this is the niche I want to go after. Why gymnastics? Is it because it just naturally felt organic to you or what, what, what did you see a gap in the marketplace? Why that? There was definitely a gap in the marketplace, but it was a no brainer because that was my expertise. So I came in to CrossFit with a background in gymnastics and I was watching gymnastics videos and it was Roger Harold back in the day. I don't know if you remember and uh, Jeff Tucker. Yep. And I was watching these videos and I was like, awesome. That's great. The problem with this is that that is artistic gymnastics, the way that you see it in the sport. This is CrossFit. This is different. Right. So what I saw as an opportunity was there's an opportunity here to teach people these gymnastics techniques with the intention of translating it into CrossFit movements. And now CrossFit movements at that time in 2007, 2008, 2009 were still being developed. Like these signature movements were right, being developed. Right. The and kipping handstand push-up then was not the way it is today. It was not a thing. Right. And the butterfly pull-up was not a thing either. I mean, the butterfly pull-up was born in 2008, the year that you won the games. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I think Spieler could probably be um, attributed to creating that, right? That movement pattern. Yeah. I think, I, actually, I think there was someone in New York, a trainer in New York, who uh, came up at least with the first progression. He saw it. Maybe he saw Spieler. And was it Dustin, some guy from Texas? I can't remember the names. But anyways, they saw that these new movements were arising. So this guy in New York, I believe, he came up with the first progression on how to teach this and formalize the movement. Okay. And so you saw a gap with with bringing gymnastics to a new demographic, that group being CrossFitters in particular. And so how did you take advantage of that? What, what did that path look like? What, what were the first steps? So that that requires me to uh, rewind a little bit. So back in 1998, 1999, I was watching a lot of action sports and I loved it. And it was this alternative sport, but it was played on network TV. So it was right. it was something that we all got to see. You're talking about BMX, you're talking about I'm skateboarding. I'm talking about BMX, yeah. wakeboarding, snowboarding, yeah, the yeah. whole thing. Okay. And I realized then that the way that gymnastics, for example, was presented to the world was boring. It wasn't entertaining. It couldn't hold people's focus. It would only come around every fourth year for the Olympics. It just didn't have that thing that people can feel attracted to and become fans of. 
So I knew that media was a thing. Fast forward, I come to the US, I realize in the US everything goes, you can do whatever you want, you have access to everything. There's an open market to go whatever direction you want to go in. And I decided in the early years to actually pursue the media side of things. Like I wanted to do commercials, I wanted to do modeling. That's where I thought, okay, if I can create an image that can get people to feel attracted to gymnastics, then I'll be doing something really cool. And maybe I can leverage action sports to do that. And then one night I remember watching some infomercial, P90X, Tony Horton, Beachbody thing. And I was like, man, if people are buying this, then what would happen if you actually added coaching to this? What would happen if you actually added what we've learned over hundreds of years of professional sports? What would that look like? And I didn't know how to execute on it, but I knew that I needed to get into the fitness industry. And at the same time, my dad, he had said, you know what, if you, he's an entrepreneur himself, so he's been in business his whole life. He's like, you know that personal trainer is making average right now of $110,000 a year in the US. And I was like, talk to me. (laughs) I want to hear more about that. And that's where I realized media and fitness need to go together getting access to the big networks, that was hard. That was really competitive. That was exclusive for Jane Fonda and crew and a a very limited uh, group of people. For sure. And that's when CrossFit came around. And what CrossFit was doing so well was they were documenting their workouts, the program, and then putting it on any platform they could. Do you remember in the old days, CrossFit.com was on QuickTimes? For sure. Yeah. For sure. They did. One of the things I don't think people give enough credit to CrossFit for is they're actually a media company, right? Because they produced so much content that drove people to them. And then from there, they have seminars and things like that, which it sounds like that's where you're going. Mm-hmm, exactly. And that's where I realized, oh man, these guys are doing split screen. They're editing their videos. I'm like, maybe I can do the same thing. And that's where, when I fell into CrossFit, it was a no brainer. And this is where Kelly Starrett pulled off uh, a genius move, which was I'm going to post daily these little mobility exercises, yeah, yeah, free content that I was like, man, I don't think I can commit to daily for the rest of my life. But I could commit to something that is daily that maybe looks different. And that's where he started Gymnastics Wad. And four months later, I asked him, is it okay if I start Gymnastics Wad? Sorry, he started Mobility Wad. I started four months later uh, Gymnastics Wad. And I asked him, is it okay? And he's like, totally. So, we leveraged the media company that was CrossFit and the attention that that was bringing in to educate people. And that's what we realized is that if you can become a media company, you're going to be able to leverage whatever it is that you're selling, whether it's a service like you're selling with the gyms or it's access. Do you want to come and see me? So that was the game that was being played. So you're at San Francisco CrossFit, you're producing this content and then you chose obviously gymnastics because you have this background in it, which I think is really important for gym owners, especially and coaches to recognize. We talk a lot about this idea of kind of this earned confidence and it comes through years and years and years of putting in the work. And you had done that, right? I mean, you had been, how long were you doing gymnastics before you decided to start putting out content? Uh, 20 years. 20 years. So a great example of that is that when you start putting out gymnastics content, you feel really comfortable putting that out because you have all this background. So that's really cool. So, Before you got into it, you became, quote, an expert at it, or at least you had more knowledge than most 99.9% of people. So then you start putting out these videos and you start building some attention. 
when did you decide to, how long did you do that for before you decided to actually start creating a revenue stream from it? And then what was that revenue stream? Yeah, the first the first moment I realized that I could create a revenue stream around it was when I I realized that workshops and seminars was the way to go. And this is something that Julia Starrett, who you had on the on the show, had been telling me, you need to do seminars, you need to do seminars. Right. The problem with me was that I thought I needed to have a seminar fleshed out and ready to go to be able to show up and do the thing. And little did I know that I could actually freestyle it. I could show up and do a Q&A based and say, hey, what do you need? And simply that access and my experience could leverage and allow me to actually uh, create content that was of value. The, the, the level and barrier of entry at that time in 2009 was so low right. that uh, there and was- And the desire for information. There was a lot of people out there. So you kind of hit the market very at the unique. right time, right? Where a lot of people wanted your information. Very few people were putting it out. And so you started these seminars. So how many seminars did you do a month? So the first seminar I did, I, I got paid a flat fee. And I did one in the first year, I think. And I thought I was killing it. I was like, man, I just did a seminar, got paid good money. This was amazing. And then I, uh, I realized that if I wanted to do something bigger, I had to go into tech. So it wasn't about the seminars. It was about people getting uh, the service through an app. Okay. I wanted to do online coaching. That's what I wanted to do. So I started building this movement academy. That was the, the idea. And that's where I went into business with a partner, which was a cool time because now I was leveraging media and tech, trying to build something and then funding it through doing these live workshops. Okay. So let's pause for a second. So you, you realize you're an, industry, you're an industry expert in this particular thing. You start funding it through seminars you're putting on on what, a biweekly basis, give mm -hmm. or take? Now you took on a partner for a digital side of your business. What happened with the partnership and how did you find that partner? How did you know it was the right person? Well, I didn't know it was the right person. I was just hungry and ready to go. So I partnered with uh, my partner at the time who who now I've separated from since uh, we started separating in 2013 and, and just recently did I finalize the separation. It was a big deal. So so this we is a really deep. big this is a really big topic for us because a lot of gym owners out there have partnerships. I think this is a phenomenal topic. A lot of gym owners have partnerships. They don't have any written partnership agreement, but they just say, "Hey, you're going to do this, I'm going to do this." And all is well when it's well. And then when it's not well, things can go really sour. And so can you tell us a little bit, we don't need to use names or anything, but what happened with what could you have done in the partnership that you think could have set you up for better success? Mm -hmm. that, that's a great question. So he, here's what I realized that I did in retrospect. I considered myself the talent. I realized that I was attracting people and I was ready to delegate. And I was being very generous with uh, the way I was welcoming people in. And it's just because that's my nature. But every single person that wanted to part partner with me kept on asking me, what's the exit strategy? And I was like, what do you mean? I'm in it for life. Right. There's no exit strategy for me. But they were like, well, we're going to exit one day. I was like, well, maybe that's not the right partner. But that just felt like this uh, faded little noise and voice in the background. I was super hype and excited about building and seizing the moment, the opportunity. So I didn't care. I went for it. So what, what we did was we had an agreement that was uh, an 80-20 revenue share. But then on the back end, we had a 50-50 ownership in the company. Huh. Okay. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> so do you think that to start off with, 
was the first step that you think was the challenge? Was it the 50-50? It was figuring out what the relationship was going to be in terms of uh, the business and then who was going to do what and what that was going to generate for the business, not just in one year, but in five years, 10 years. The plan was just not there. So why would you give up if you were the quote talent why at the time were you okay with giving up 50%? Because I knew that the tech side of things was not something that I could do. And the upside deeper in was going to be huge because I was already seeing where we were trending. And I knew we had a window of five, six years to hit it. So I was just in a rush. And I trusted that they had my best interest in mind. Yeah. That's and not so, the case. Right. So looking back on that particular situation, did you have a formal partnership agreement? Yeah. And if you had done it again- I would not have signed that contract. <laughs> right. But but primarily, let's assume that you take um, the person out of it. You just look at the deal. Was it because, do you think the 50-50 was, was one significant problem because no one had full, no one had the kind of like the say? Do you think that was a, the, or, do you think that 50-50 agreements can work? No, I don't think so. Unless it's it's with um, someone that you just know that this is a lifetime deal and you're willing to give up a lot of control in certain areas of the business. Right. So I, I think a 50-50 deal doesn't work. And I think when you start looking at it from a numbers perspective, it starts getting skewed really quickly. You need to look at it from an impact perspective and the value that you bring as an individual in the beginning. So it's kind of like you're not betting on the horse, you're betting on the jockey kind of thing. Yeah. And so when you when you initially set it up, did you have um, in the partnership agreement what your scope would be versus his scope or her scope, this person's scope? It wasn't. It wasn't. As clearly defined. It wasn't clear. And okay. that unfortunately got in the way because when we were now years deep doing these seminars that were funding everything else that we were doing, we were making really good money. I mean, these were big weekends uh, that we were managing the the sales, the marketing. Uh, we did everything. So we had full control and had uh, margins that were incredible. So the money was flowing in. And now deals were coming in with Reebok. And Reebok was, was happy to sign off checks and provide and give you uh, all kinds of network that it started getting uh, too big to handle with the agreement that we had. And we had no structure and we had grown apart. So all of a sudden I arrive at a point where now I have a book that's published. It's about to become a New York Times bestseller, which is super exciting. But I feel like I'm in a partnership that uh, is just a broken relationship. So I decide to peel back all the layers and say, you know what? I'm ready to restart this whole thing. And then that, of course, when you start going back in time, lawyers start getting involved. They start reading the papers, the contracts. You start seeing that you made some pretty big mistakes. And I remember um, my lawyer called me and he said, uh, you, uh, you owe X amount of money. And in fact, you also have a bunch of taxes that are now going to affect you that are going to be retroactively affecting you. And that's five years of high earnings in retrospect. And I asked my lawyer, um, so what do we do? He's like, well, you can fight it or you can suck it up. And I said, did I really sign that? He's like, it's right here. You, you agreed to this. And what I did was I'll take the hit. I'm going to learn my lesson. So I took the hit and it's taken me four years to get out of that hole. So that's a heavy story and it's a really good one for people to listen to. And what I mean by that is 
on a totally different level, we get questions a lot about employee versus contractor, right? Should I be, should I classify our team as employees or contractors? And, you know, I would recommend for all gym owners to look into what the difference is between that if you don't know. But one of the things that people don't take in consideration is if you wrongly classify somebody, they can't just come after you. The, the um, labor department doesn't only come after you for, for that month or that year. They could come back at you for five years, whatever it is, of back taxes because you had wrongly classified them since the beginning. And so now they're saying, hey, 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 you wrongly classified them for four years. You owe us X amount. And that could be detrimental to businesses. And so I think as a learning lesson from your story, this one in particular, is if I could summarize you, or perhaps you could summarize, would you have had um, more legal, would you have had another set of eyes on all the documents? Would you have had a lawyer come into play? What would what could you have done to avoid all of these things? It sounds like you're excited and I've been there before and I've done some stuff like that too, but you're excited, you're fired up, you think you got to go. But if it's a good deal today, it'll probably be a good deal tomorrow. Do you think you should have taken time and send it off to another lawyer, get a third party to look at it? What do you think you could have done? Yeah, if if I could go back in time and talk to myself, I would put my hand on my shoulder, I would sit myself down and say, "Look, this is perceived urgency that you you're seeing right now." Yeah. Like this is this is not happening right now. Like right. no one's dying. This deal is not going away like you said. There's time. Go and do some research, study, and come back even if it's in a month, two, six months. And in the meantime, keep doing what you're doing. There's no rush. Right. The, the, the game will go on. Right. It's always there. And it's how you participate with a vision that is in the long term that's going to allow you to fully leverage your gifts and your talents. And you're in control. Period. So yeah, I would have yeah. definitely had a second pair of eyes. I would have gone slower. I would have read through every single paragraph. I wouldn't have trusted just my business partner who basically typed it up. Yeah, I think that's a really powerful lesson. I hope that for those of you listening, I uh, was on the phone with the gym owner yesterday and they have a very successful business. But the first question I asked them, and they were kind of like, they were fired up about it. Like, oh, we're doing this amount of business, this amount of business. I'm like, dude, good for you, right? First thing I asked them, I was like, I have three questions for you, right? Do you have a partnership agreement? Do you have this, this, this? And I said, hey, I'm just letting you know that you have a great business, but if you don't structure this accordingly, all of that could go away. And um, Real quick. And, real quick. And, and, and so moving forward, so you get the, the information from the lawyer, you back tax, which I'm sure was really tough. <laughs> this one time I paid the IRS, I, uh, I wrote them a check for what I felt they deserved. Oh and my goodness. Based on school, <laughs> didn't go over too well. I can um, imagine. <laughs> anyways, that's for a different well, You know what I've day. learned about the IRS though? Yeah. Is the IRS actually just wants to get paid. So they're willing to help you. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that's another thing. I think a lot of people are scared of the IRS and feel like, oh man, you got to pay the man and all these things. Guess what? They, they just want you to participate and to be fair in the best way possible. Yes. There are a lot of things that we could fix about it. But guess what? They're willing to work with you. So because well, I'm sure, were they willing to work with you when you had this problem? 100%. Yeah, because you're going to them, you're saying, hey, I want to pay, but I need to do it on this structure. Yeah. So this lawyer gives you this hard news. Now, how did you recover from that? And where where does that take you today? So now are you doing, yeah. Yeah, there, there's several things that happened at that time. Right as I was losing everything and basically having 
some of my advisors saying, you're going to have to file for bankruptcy and me saying, no, I'm going to make it. Um, that's when I had to double down on what was making me money, which was seminars. And the goal was to uh, wean off of the seminars and start going more online. Of course. But at that time, I had to make an extra, you know, 100K. So where do you get that? Well, where, where the money is coming from. So you're going to go and double down on that. So I started doubling down on seminars. And at the same time, what was happening was uh, my wife and I, we became foster parents. So we were dealing with having a teenager at home and figuring out what does this even mean? How do we manage this? So now my focus was family and then doubling down on just making this thing work. Which eventually led into me almost getting depressed, and uh, I was on the verge of depression and feeling really bad and sick and uh, dropping off of my fitness and just not feeling good, feeling like a fraud. Like, what am I doing out here telling people and acting like a leader when behind the scenes I'm failing big time right. and I'm barely making these payments? And that's scary. And then it, I had this big realization. I got flown out to do this event in Bali. And I got some time off, uh, just an afternoon off, and I went surfing. And I had this moment where I was sitting there on my board, and I was having a rough time catching these waves. And I was like, man, this is what life feels like right now. I'm just getting pummeled and hurt, and I feel like I'm drowning. And then all of a sudden, a storm broke out, and the waves kind of just flattened out, and it started raining. And I was, I was just sitting there meditating almost. And I was like, man, you have a lot going for you. And life is beautiful. Yeah, you're sitting in Bali on a surfboard. Exactly. Yeah. This is your life. You can do this. All you have to do is work with what you got because what you got is what makes you different and it's what you're going to be able to leverage and go up against whatever it is you're trying to go up against and win if you just use it the right way. So uh, the waves started coming back in. I surfed all the way into the beach. I, I did the thing. Fired up. Fired up. Flew home. And started taking inventory. What do I have? What have I accomplished? Oh, I have a shit ton of content online. Let me leverage that content. I can repurpose it. I can do a bunch of stuff with it. What can I do with it? So I started thinking, okay, I can build new platforms. I can create content around that. Where am I going to funnel people? Well, I'm going to funnel them to my book. Why to my book? Well, the book is... Scalable. Uh, yes, yes, scalable. Right. You need something that's going to allow you to create volume. And you need speed on that. How are you going to create speed? Well, you need to create content. Content is king. Then the second thing that I was thinking, what do I need to leverage? Well, I have a great network. I have amazing people. All I need to do is ask for help. And as soon as I just raised my hand, I said, hey, I need some support. People came rushing to help because you've given away so much for free up front and done so much work to lay the foundation that people are willing to contribute and give back. And then the last thing I realized was I need to create a great conversion, meaning I need to take whatever it is that I have, whether it's a book or a seminar or a service, and I need to create an amazing conversion. And once I convert people, then I just need to manage them. And I'm going to have to become a really good operator. So figure that shit out. And that's what I started figuring out. I'm like, okay, content, keep doing that, network, leverage it. 
create conversion. What does that look like? Where does that happen? Where's the best conversion in your business happening at the moment? Where else should you be focusing on? And then once you convert people into your community, into your space, into your business, how are you going to continue to add value to them in, in a way that retains them, but also is making a positive impact? And this is where now it's becoming a better operator, having a great team, making sure that everything on the back end, especially the finances, are just a well-lubed machine. Yeah, I think where you're alluding to, and what I'm picking up from it is that, you know, life's going to have its challenges always. There's always going to be ups and downs. And I think what's interesting for me to hear from you is that you got knocked down from a business perspective and there's going to be owners out there. There's going to be coaches out there that get knocked down. But I think taking this inventory is really important because there's always going to be something that you've dedicated yourself to. that's going to give you an advantage over somebody else. And, and if there isn't, then go out there and continue to educate yourself, continue to do your thing. But I think that's a really um, interesting perspective you had. So you come back from Bali, you're all fired up. You start leveraging your network. You start asking, start doing these things. You have these scalable products. Um, Now, where does that take you? So with seminars, you're doing a seminar every other weekend right now. Mm -hmm. And what is the purpose? Now your seminars have shifted over the years because the industry has shifted. When you first got into CrossFit, when I first got into CrossFit, there was a lot of people wanting information, very few people putting out. Now, there's you know, there's still a lot of people who want it, but there's a lot of people putting it out there. So how have you differentiated yourself? How would you pivot? And then what are you really excited about from a coaching perspective? So if you're a coach out there, if you're an owner, what are you preaching and how is it impacting them? Yeah, so there's, there's several questions there. The, fir- the first part is that right now, I have to be on both sides of the spectrum, meaning I need to be the talent that's up front and you know on camera or teaching these seminars, but I also need to be the executive on the back end. So I need to balance being an operator and the talent. That's the first thing I need to do. The way I look at it is I see myself almost like a, I'm, a, I'm a comedian touring the world, playing in little dive bars. You know, I'm just uh, trying to practice my sets. So every time I do a seminar, I'm practicing new material, gaining new information. I just need to get in front of people because I need to know what's happening on the, on the, on the floor, on the yeah, ground. Yeah. So I'm, I'm out there, yes, making money off of seminars, but what I'm really doing is gathering information. Because on the back end, I need to do something that's scalable. What is that? Well, it, it's it's changing because it's going from fitness into the transportation industry, into experiences, and that's something that I'm currently molding right now. For example, for you, it sounds like you're in the service business. Yeah. Right? So service is your thing. You have a book. You have- yeah, We have our app. You have your yeah. app. You have all these things. But ultimately, what you're focused on is delivering the best experience through a service. Yeah. What I'm now trying to figure out is what is it we're delivering? Is it an experience? Is it a service? Is it a product that we want to scale? We don't know which is the best yet, but that's okay. Because the long run, like I was telling you when we were off air, was in 10 years from now, I want to have something that looks like a venture group. And I want to have a couple of areas that I focus on. Maybe that is transportation. Maybe that is fitness. Maybe that is footwear and apparel. If so, what problem do I think I'm going to be solving with my business and with my understanding in those different areas? Based on the information you're gathering from these uh, comedy clubs. Exactly. But that's exactly (laughs) what it is. So I'm a comedian out there. And at the same time, I'm kind of on a political campaign. 
So I'm campaigning, running for president of my own company. <laughs> That's basically right. what I'm doing. Right, 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 right. That's a good way to put it, right? You yeah. are you you are the president of your own company, and you're out there trying to solicit feedback and an audience. So what does that audience look like? Because again, back to 2009, it was very simple. I want to get better at the muscle up. For example, you taught me my first backflip. Very simple example, right? Backflip, Carl Pilly, done. Now, what does it look like though? Mm -hmm. I know it shifted. So, so yeah, so actually this is an interesting thing. Uh, the backflip thing was pure entertainment, but there was education behind it where we got to talk about my favorite topic, which is skill transfer. And we know that skill transfer is not just something that happens in movement, but it also happens in your mindset. The way you think about fitness, you're going to think about your family and you can think about everything else. You've written a book about this. Yeah. So skill transfer is the thing that I'm excited about. And I believe that if I can simply, by being a coach, bring out the best out of people and show them how they can transfer what they know into whatever it is that they need, all of a sudden, they're going to have a sense of fulfillment. They're going to be able to adhere to whatever process they need to be part of. If that's starting a gym, start a gym. If that's starting your new apparel company, go ahead and do that. But also be ready because change is coming. Because something that may start as an apparel company may shift into becoming a media company. Maybe the media company becomes a venture group. The venture group may become something else. You never know. So be open to the change. But have a mission that uh, is there and make sure that your skills and talent are, are aligned with that. And What's all I am is the person that allows people to identify what those skills are, finding clarity on how to articulate that, and then introducing it into their craft. And I don't care if you're a coach within fitness or if you're the person that is uh, into real estate that's trying to open gyms and maybe uh, acquire real estate around yeah. the world. You're going to have a focus. And that way we can also team people up. And I'm already starting to see that is that I'm connecting people so if you have an illustrator, someone who can illustrate really well, and you have a great storyteller, you bring those two together and you create a beautiful kids book. Because Same thing happens to your fitness. seminar. So to summarize your seminar, one of the things I want to ask you about is that you provide feedback to create your own personal mission statement. So what you're saying is this person and every person can sit down, establish what their mission statement is, which I want to hear from you, how you define that. However, once you determine this mission statement, another characteristic, another component of it is identifying what you're good at and what you're not good at, right? Yeah, well, yeah. sometimes you, you don't even know what you're not good at. Right. <laughs> but you realize that you are good at certain things because the feedback that you get is positive and you see that there's growth. The more stuff that you do that has a positive impact and you can take inventory of that, it's going to push out all the stuff that you're not good at. Right. But then there needs to be an open mind to hear people saying, hey, if you added this into the mix, you could potentially accelerate your growth. And this could be, uh, let's say you want to get more, more clients at your gym. You're going to have to have some sort of on-ramp process. What does that look like? How am I going to get the leads? Where do they come from? Yeah. Is that Facebook ads? Is it uh, word of mouth? What is it? We need to identify all those things. And sometimes in certain areas, you may not be good at selling. Get someone who can sell. Right. And sometimes that will, you will attract that if you do what you do really well. So for the personal mission statement, what is the recommendation there? So um, at w my favorite workshop that I teach right now is called Beyond Movement, which is saying what happens beyond the technical aspect of things, beyond the technical coaching. Who are you as a coach? 
Like, what do you bring in terms of value? Because you can go to a gym and everyone can teach a push-up, everyone can do a squat, but why are they calling me, Carl, to go to Sao Paulo to teach someone how to do a burpee? It's not the technical side. It's something else. So we need to identify what that is. And what people well, what can do, do think it is? for me, is my presence. I know that when I show up, I have some technical understanding and I'm ahead of the game there because I have great experience. But what I do is I simply listen and I'm listening for what is it that people need. And then I try to use my experience to help them, not me answer the question, help them answer their own questions. So I'm giving people tools to first ask the right questions and then how to problem solve. Okay. That's what I'm teaching. Right. And when it comes to the mission statement, it's helping people articulate what it is that they do. And they can answer five simple questions. It's, who are you? You can say, I'm Jason Kalipa. Right. What do you do? Uh, I coach CrossFit, for example. Who do you do it for? People who want to lose weight. Now we're starting to get specific. People who want to make it to the CrossFit games. People who want to recover from an injury. Right. You start getting specific. What do, who are those people? What do they need? Well, they maybe need technical guidance. Maybe they need accountability. Maybe they need a community. And then the fifth question is, what impact are you making in their lives? And when you can answer those five questions, now you come full circle. Right. Who are you? What do you do? Who do you do it for? What do they need? And what impact do you make? Yeah. Done. Because all of a sudden, you're you're not only talking about a personal mission statement, but you're actually talking about a business mission statement. Yes. Right? And every single individual, whether they're part of a business or not, they are a business of themselves. And you want them to operate that way. Otherwise, yes. you can't grow the team. Right. Right. What kind of value are you going to add to somebody? What kind of impact are you going to be able to make to them? Who is that person? So you're sharing the right message to the right person at the right time. I totally get it. So your seminars have shifted from this gymnastics focus to more of a, how can we utilize movement to overcome or to learn more about ourselves? Is that a good way to describe it? It's great. It's, it comes down to awareness. Is how aware are you of who you are in this world? Period. It doesn't move. Like one of the, one of my favorite memories of you is uh, we're at the CrossFit Games, and I think it was the handstand push up. Uh, what was it like the med ball over the shoulder? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and before going out, we were talking, and you're like, "So, Carl, what should I focus on?" I was like, "Here are two things to focus on." You went out; it didn't go really well, and and you came back, and I remember you coming back with your head down. I was like, "What happened?" You're like, "I spaced out. I I no, I, I blanked out. <laughs> yeah, I I just went for it." This is what's happening to people every day, all the time. That happened to you in a very stressful situation in competition with a movement that you already knew that you maybe had some deficiencies in. Sure. That's okay because you learned from that and now you fixed it. But people are experiencing this 37,000 times a day. So we make approximately 37,000 decisions a day. That's a lot of decisions. Yeah. Every single one of those decisions, if you can start becoming aware of how you're making them, you can make huge change in the way that you operate in this world. Yeah, on a day-by-day basis. And here's the problem, is that if I ask most people how they got out of bed today, they won't remember. They just rolled out of bed, went to the bathroom, took a shit, and then brushed their teeth and left. Right. But if you get injured, let's say you break a leg or an arm, and all of a sudden you try to get out of bed... Now you're, you remember exactly what you did yeah, yeah. because you were in so much pain. That pain is feeling and feeling is the gateway to awareness. What we want to do is we don't want you to be in pain. We want you to move away from pain. So think about this. If you do something that's painful, let's say you have a bad habit or an addiction and you move away from that, what you're going to meet is discomfort. 
It's a different type of pain. Right. We want to take people from pain that they may not even notice that they have away from pain into a place of discomfort. Within discomfort, they're going to feel some things. With the feeling, they're going to notice what they're thinking. With their thinking, they're going to be able to organize their thoughts and now start to articulate, meaning they're speaking about it, they're acting it, they're doing something about what their work is. And fitness just happens to be an Perfectly amazing aligned. tool yeah. to get you there. And that's why you've written a book. Yeah. No, no. I think I, I'm, I agree 100%. I think I was on a, I was talking to someone earlier and I told them that I think fitness is like the, the most underutilized, powerful tool for in between your ears ever. But you can learn how to overcome adversity. You can learn so much from it. So looking at your business, looking at your history, looking at how you pivoted from this to this and this to this, having this partnership, is there anything else from a from a business perspective? You seem like you're trying to look into venture funding. You, you seem like you're trying to think big picture business. Um, what else from a from a practical perspective for an owner or for a coach out there? What else have you learned in your decade or more in the CrossFit space? What else have you seen from traveling the world that you think you can impart on them aside from what you're talking about in your seminars? Yeah, the solution is simple. Don't try to get fancy. It's as simple as that. And focus on the things that you know about and then inquire about the things that you don't know about. And when you inquire about the things that you don't know about, experiment, come up with your own method. Don't trust people like yourself or myself to come here and, and uh, sit behind a mic and act like es experts. Challenge us, question us, because that's going to make the whole community better. And I think that's one thing that I, I realized that I got really excited about being an expert and knowing some stuff. But then I, I came to the point where I was tired of answering the same questions. And I felt like, why are you not getting better? Well, because I'm enabling you. So whoever owns a gym or is a person who works on the floor at a gym and coaches classes, know that you are the front line and you're actually part of shaping this whole business. Yeah. So don't become complacent. And realize that it's your duty to bring information and report back up to challenge the whole system. And if you want to climb the ladder, if that's a thing that you do, just know what ladder to climb. Don't climb it because it looks sex sexy. Like being a CEO or owning, how many gyms do you have now? It's like over 20. Over 20. Yeah. It's not that fun <laughs> when you're trying to figure out how everything works and, and keeping the team unless you really love the game. Right. And not everyone is suited for it. For example, for me, I know that I'm more of a creative than an executive. So I will be CEO until I get fired. But I'm going to make sure that when I get fired from my position as CEO in my own company, that I get put in a position where I can thrive. Right. And I'm just getting ready for that. And people need to be ready for that. And it doesn't matter if it's fitness or in anything else. Yeah, I, I agree with you. So you've traveled the world, you've seen all these different gyms, and that's that's really good wisdom to impart on people, right? Is is constant education, but also then recognizing where do you fit in this ecosystem, and maybe where you think you fit isn't actually where you fit, and that's okay, right? If you're a creative, how long did it take you to recognize that? Because especially nowadays, and Juliet and I were talking about this, this idea of entrepreneurship is so inspiring for people. It's been put on this pedestal. But not everybody's cut to be an entrepreneur and wants that risk and liability. There's a lot of phenomenal people who maybe are more creative in nature who could do really amazing things with the help of someone who's more entrepreneurial in nature, hypothetically, right? 
So I would just take a step back if I was an owner and think about that. I think what's really helpful for me is I really enjoyed your your um, take on partnership. I think that's really, really valuable. Um, for people and coaches and owners out there who want to maybe know more about your methodology, where you're going, how you're using movement to teach some stuff in between the years, where can people find more information about these things? Yeah, so now you can come to freestyleconnection.com. We're going to relaunch the blog, which is going to talk about mindset and it's going to talk about fitness, but also about business and finances and uh, community. So that's going to be a place to to check it out. And then a podcast that I'm coming out with season two now in the, the beginning of 2019. So that will also have a ton of information, which I'm super excited about. And then, uh, yeah, hopefully within the next 18 months, I'll have a, another book coming out, which will be about uh, designing a lifestyle that's conducive to figure out who you are, what you do, who you do it for, and what impact you can make, whether it's within a company or it's in your own company. So it's really identifying what is it? your businesses and how can we really leverage that perfect yeah. well wait check out for the book check out the podcast check out freestyleconnection.com uh carl Pillett, thank you very much and uh guys as per usual have a phenomenal day thanks dude